Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how this one goes. Um, I know people have clicked on the episode and uh, probably have a rough idea of what we're going to be talking about here, uh, assuming they know who this individual is, Nolan Bushnell. Um, Matt, I got a question for you. Hit me, Chief. Have you ever played a little video game called Pong? Pong. Pong. Oh, Pong. Chief, of course. You have? When, where, where, uh, what'd you play Pong on, actually? Probably on my computer. I just know I've experienced it at some point. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've played, uh, Pong on, um, an Atari, like, kind of flashback machine. Okay. Where it was an Atari toy that they sold at Toys R Us. It was just a joystick with, like, 20 Atari games preloaded. Um, obviously Pong, I believe there are Space Invaders, Breakout, uh, Adventure, no space uh, invaders. Few, that's a classic. Mm-hmm, few games like that, um, and it was pretty fun. You know, uh, very, very difficult, very competitive, um, all that good stuff. Now, Pong was uh, just a mildly popular game um, with mild, small cultural impact. Uh, released in 1972, nearly half a century ago, if my math is correct. Um, considered to be the first commercially successful video game. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's right. I did not know that. Uh, not the first game, but the first commercially successful one. Okay. Pong was actually a rehash of another game that was already out at the time called Tennis for Two on the Magnavox Odyssey. Okay. Uh, created by a whole other company, whole other, pe- whole other person. Um, and legend has it, the Pong game came about because Nolan Bushnell asked one of his engineers as a test to create it, okay? Interesting enough. Um, At Atari, a small company that some people may know, Alan Alcorn was a new engineer, Nolan Bushnell, who ran Atari, co-ran it with his uh, buddy Ted at the time, uh, asked Alan to create Pong as a test as a new engineer, and uh, basically kind of copying the same similar design as Tennis for Two, when it was created, Nolan Bushnell came along and did a couple things that really made the game dynamic. Um, he added a return angle on the ball, and he added sound effects. And bam, Pong was born. Okay? Fun fact, Atari's ticker symbol is Pong F. I love that. <laughs> that's really, that's, wow, I wish I brought that to the table. That is amazing. Of course, you, always on, on the ticker symbols for stuff, so... Got demons. Uh, <laughs> legend has it, again, uh, the very first Pong machine was actually set up at a bar in Sunnyvale, California, uh, right there in Silicon Valley in Northern California. Uh, and the, the machine actually stopped working. And when Atari went to go check on what made the machine not work, they feared the worst. They went there. Turns out the machine was so overstuffed with quarters that it was jammed and it was not accepting any more quarters. Very good problem to have. Uh, from then on out, the rest is history with what Atari became and what Pong ended up becoming. Uh, tens of thousands of Pong machines sold, not just in the area, but nationally. Um, you know, All through the 70s and the mid-80s, Atari becomes a key player in the home video game industry and basically creates the video games at home space for people um, with a number of different consoles, three, including the Atari 2600, um, and Pong at Home, uh, another separate console even before that one. 
Um, the story of Atari and Nolan Bushnell is uh, very interesting. Nolan Bushnell is a really, really interesting guy. Um, I've always been interested in doing an episode on him just because I, I love history for one. And I think video game history is just so like all over the place in terms of what it is, um, because it's one of those things that kind of starts off in sort of a toy realm or an entertainment realm and then slowly kind of eases its way into like the artistic art medium realm, which is what we like to operate in. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that Pong is a work of art or anything like that, but I think it's really sort Stepping of the prim it's the it's the primordial ooze of video games, right? It's yeah. like it's it's so it's so early, um, but it, it's so recognizable. Any gamer today can pick it up and play it. And probably if two people picked up some joysticks, it would get pretty competitive pretty quickly. Um, so that's what's pretty interesting about it too. Um, but yeah, that's the story of Nolan Bushnell. That's it. And no, just just kidding. There's quite a bit more to it. Uh, so Nolan Bushnell um, is is a really interesting guy. Like I mentioned. Um, he is considered to be one of the founding fathers of the video game industry um, and sort of like is operates in this funny zone where he's in the early like Silicon Valley days as well and sort of as an inventor and a tech guy. Actually, Steve Jobs' first and only boss, uh, which ties him into a really kind of gives you a timeline there. It's pretty elite um, group right there. Yeah, yeah. really. Uh, I mean, 70s and 80s uh, Silicon Valley back when I think and this is a broader conversation, I think, um, I would actually love your take on is Silicon Valley back then was really seen as like the forefront of innovation and like new, you know, everybody was starting all these fun companies to do all these cool things with computers. And, you know, Michael Dell started it in his garage and Steve Jobs and Steve Woz they, Wozniak built the Apple, you know, one in their garage and like, uh, you know, Atari was kind of like a hippie commune where people were smoking weed and hooking up with each other and making video yeah. games, man. It's the 70s. And like now Silicon Valley is just like this doom scrolly, like culty like thing <laughs> where like it's just so negatively tied to everything. But there well, was a time when it wasn't sucks like that. too, right? Because I mean, gotta go. Yeah, go on a side. I mean, Silicon Valley right now. I mean, there's literally a whole like. Sit, satire sitcom TV show just making fun of like the culture there, right? Literally called Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think that's like a cultural thing. You know, what, once things start off as such like a, like a focal point, right? Of like culture. For example, Silicon Valley being like the place where all this innovation happens and it's just like, yeah, like, oh, bro, we just fuck around, we throw ideas out, we make magic happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then nowadays, right, it's it's turned into this thing of uh, fuck all these tech bros coming into our cities, you know, our, the Bay Area, whether that's Palo Alto, San Jose, San Francisco, and, you know, just gentrifying it and, you know, raising up housing prices because the, all these tech people are paying them so much. And it's just like there's such a negative connotation now to it too where it, used to really be probably a mecca of software culture, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's like a trend you see happen in a lot of places. I mean, look at, I mean, you and I both live in LA and I think, I think, I know you and I both are joining it, but I think from the outside looking in, I know a lot of people will shit on LA for various reasons. And, you know, back in the day, people used to look at LA as like, again, like the mecca of entertainment, entertainment or, where you yeah. go to make your dreams happen. You can make it happen here. This is where you go to, you know, if you want the world to go to LA, that was the, that was the energy, right? Uh, and then nowadays it's like, I can afford 
um, a basement. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. And he probably yeah. couldn't even get a basement in fucking San Francisco with the same money. It's even worse up there. So kind of an interesting little cultural thing that just tends to happen over time. Totally. Totally. I might be, you know, honestly, it's not even just cultural. There's a lot of economic factors that I think play into that as well, but that's a topic for another day. Totally. And I, you know, the, the interesting thing too, I think is just like, there's definitely a shift somewhere of like the spirit of innovation and freedom and being able to start a company and just like bunch of, bunch of people working out of their garage kind of vibes to like, Oh, this VC is going to throw like a hundred million dollars at this company that invades your privacy kind of vibes. And then we can sell it to this other bigger company for $500 million. <laughs> it's just yeah. such a different spirit. And this, again, I'm describing a Silicon Valley of 50 years ago, almost that the actually, one that Bushnell grew up in. I just saw a really funny meme comparing um myspace tom the founder of myspace and 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 uh, uh zuckerberg. zuckerberg yeah i've seen and they're one. like man myspace tom had it right sold his company for 500 million dollars and just got the fuck out and just travels and takes pretty pictures i know and they have like zuckerberg on like what looks like just a really awkward zoom call like impales hack in his suit and they're like and then we had this fool possessed by the goblin king like <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see that one yeah. that's pretty great uh, do, do love me some MySpace, Tom. That guy is living the dream. He yeah. did invest in Facebook too. So, uh, he's seriously sure he's doing very well. Yeah. yeah, he is. Um, so anyway, back to Nolan Bushnell, uh, really coming up in a Silicon Valley in a culture in the seventies, you know, of course the seventies in America has a whole nother, um, sort of layer on top of it. Um, and you know, he's coming up and kind of proving himself and making a lot of money at Atari, um, running Atari and creating it this time. Um, a little bit of a background on who Nolan Bushnell is. Nolan Bushnell was born in 1943 in Clearfield, Utah, to a middle-class Mormon family. Uh, he went to Utah State University in 1961, then transferred to the University of Utah just a few years later in 65, where he earned his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of comp sci back then. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, a lot of people expect like a computer science degree to play in um, for a lot of these. A lot of these early Silicon Valley guys, including like a Steve Jobs uh, or a Waz, they like there was basically not no, but computer science was really not just like a, a really pro a program that everybody was in. People were entering Silicon Valley from like the electrical engineering standpoint. Some people were former like uh, there's even like a Steve Jobs quote like people were coming into Silicon Valley that like were zoologists, like literally, like people were just like, you know, what? I'm just going to go and try it. I have an idea. Like I know people we're going to, we're going to do this th cool thing, you know? So there really was a different, different vibe back then. Bushnell um, is going to the university of Utah and he, he, he's lucky enough. Three colleges at this time in the United States have a graphical interface for their computers. Computers back then took up an entire freaking room in the corner of a building somewhere at your I university. Know, right? And most of them didn't even have graphical interfaces. Um, they, were they were giant calculating machines, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he is lucky enough, Bushnell, to be at one of three colleges in the country, one of them being MIT, one of them being Stanford, and one of them being the University of Utah, funny enough, that has a graphical interface on the computer on campus. And he plays a little game called Space War. Space War, yeah. Yeah. Space did War. Did he work on that, develop it? Um, I don't think he did personally. I think he played it um, mm. and then kind of saw what it could do. Um, it was kind of like a interlink, sort of like proto-internet 
um, game that you can play on the computer that was talking to other computers on the same network. Mm-hmm. I think we touched on space more maybe in one of our other anything's possibles. Um, but it's considered to be one of the first video games ever. Um, and he's actually able to like play this game. On top of that, Nolan Bushnell is actually working at an amusement park locally. So he's got a regular job, working his way through college, plays this game on the computer, and he's working at an amusement park, running the games section, right? So like pop the balloon, yeah. you know, shoot the ball in the hoop or something like Classics. that. So so he's kind of developing real on-site experience, learning about what it, what it really makes a player click, you know, how you make games entertaining, how you make games dynamic, how you make people want to put that, that next quarter in, you know? So... This is like really setting the stage for Nolan Bushnell understanding games. Um, like I said, 1972, him, uh, him and Ted found, found <laughs> I can't, I can't talk today. I was messing up in our last recording too. Um, they create Atari Entertainment. Our, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up the full. It, it changed names so many times. Uh, Atari, I've only ever known it as Atari. It's currently known as Atari Inc. Uh, founded um, by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney. Uh, Dabney did leave in the mid-70s. He got bought out by uh, Nolan Bushnell, but the name of the company has changed like Atari Industries, Atari Entertainment, Atari, etc. Um, but anyway, Ted Dabney and Nolan Bushnell founded it in 1972. Pong comes out, big success, and then uh, they go on their way. During this time, interesting fact, Steve Jobs gets hired. Just funny enough. Uh, Steve Jobs is 19 at the time. And uh, there's a funny side note here, just because we're, we're, this is sort of becoming an ancillary like Silicon Valley episode. Um, Steve Jobs, from the very beginning, Nolan Bushnell is quoted in saying he was Steve Jobs back then too. Like he was very, very, he was (laughs) the smartest guy. He was outspoken. He was a smart guy and he wanted everybody to know that he was a smart guy. Um, He says that he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And uh, he put him on the engineering night shift, of which he was the only person on staff. <laughs> so basically just like didn't just let him be on off his own on his own in the corner. And there's actually a famous story where Steve Jobs came into uh, Bushnell's office and said, hey, your people don't know how to work circuit boards and the soldering on your circuit boards is fucked up. And like basically told him that he could do it better. And Bushnell was like, oh, well, Okay, can you train my employees on how to do it better? <laughs> and he he did, um, and improved some of the uh, stuff at Atari. Actually, under Nolan Bushnell before he moved on to create Apple just a few years later. Steve Jobs is probably like the original Sigma male. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, all on that homeopathic stuff that he was doing. Um, <laughs> Jobs goes off to create Atari when he was twenty-three. Four years after um, that incident with with Atari. And he offers Nolan Bushnell a third of Apple for $50,000. Oh, my God. Did he, he didn't take it, did he? He didn't take it. Uh, he would have been the president of Apple with that, with that amount of invest, in, uh, investment. Uh, somebody else did invest. Um, that got that same opportunity, $50,000, and was the very first president of Apple. I, the name is, is uh, slipping my memory now. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Nolan Bushnell passes on Apple um, when it was created when Steve Jobs was 23. Um, and this is a quote from Nolan Bushnell. It's kind of fun to think about when I'm not crying. <laughs> Pretty great. Yo! <laughs> this is a Silicon Valley vet. You got to think about that, guys. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. $50,000 was a lot back then. 
Um, and honestly, he I actually listened to an interview. There's a great interview um, just from 2020 by Cal Entertainment. It's on YouTube. And uh, the interviewer asks Nolan uh, why he passed. And he says, you know, he just didn't feel that Steve Jobs was going to be a good executive at the time. And back then, you got to think, you know, this is just some some smart kid. He's 19. I'm thinking about 19 year olds I know, you know, and it's like, hey, you know, he was 23. Oh, well, he was 19 when he first came into Atari. But yeah, he was 23 uh, when he started Apple. And, you know, it's like, I guess I can see it from the perspectives from the perspective of Nolan Bushnell, you know, there's probably a lot of things going on in Silicon Valley at this time. You're probably getting hit up by guys just like Steve Jobs pretty frequently. And, you know, it's just like, hey, you're a smart kid, but I don't think you can run a company right now. Fair enough, right? He was wrong, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> not, not completely wrong, but um, what, what can you do? Um, now, I talked on, on this uh, just a second ago about kind of the early days of Atari through the 70s and 80s. And what they what they were like as a company, uh, I've heard it said this way: Atari was a hippie commune ran like a company. Uh, they were making a ton of money developing games, uh, creating everything in house, like tons of shovelware, dozens and dozens of games. Hundreds of them were not even any good. Um, a few of them were okay, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, Pong did its thing. Adventure, Breakout, Pong, Space Invaders, uh, Pac-Man, yeah. huge, huge games, um, all that kind of stuff. Now, <laughs> Bushnell has come under fire multiple times. Uh, I'm going to describe you a few things. I want, I want to, I want to get your your take on this. Um, hot tub meetings, uh, smoke, <laughs> coming to the office, people smoking weed in the office. Um, it, Quite literally, it sounds like like Wolf of Wall Street style stuff. I mean, there sounds was sounds like a party. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, there was definitely some harder drugs than that being thrown around. Um, but like literally, they would just party, have company parties. People would hook up with each other. They just go home with each other. It was yeah. kind of just the way the way the company was ran. Um, and he's come under fire quite a bit. Um, in 2018. Uh, he was actually going to be given and honored at the Game Developers Choice Awards in uh, again in 2018, and it was actually blocked. Um, people had come out and said this, and this was just like three years ago, um, in the early days of Atari. And again, Atari is really seen as one of the founding companies of the video game industry as we know it yeah. today. Um, so and yeah, and plays a larger ro role, like I just mentioned with Steve Jobs, within Silicon Valley's overall story and history. You know, so Nolan Bushnell is going to be honored as a pioneer at the video game choice, video game developer choice awards. Gets blocked because of claims of the toxic work environment early on in the Atari days. Um, everybody out there, there's plenty of research out there that you can do. Um, so obviously, take a look, take it all in, and you know, form your own opinion about the guy. Um, but I will say that Kotaku did do a full, um, you know, interview process with like three female employees at the time, all of them defending full on Nolan Bushnell's, you know, really? real personality. Yeah. Saying that, you know, citing the overall work environment of Atari in the seventies and the mid eighties was actually kind of just another aspect of the overall like sexual revolution of the seventies that was going on. got to remember Times were very, very different in the 70s, right? I and guess context matters a little bit. Context here. really does. Yeah, context matters to a certain degree, right? I mean, obviously, consent's always been consent, and you know, there's yeah, no tolerance yeah, for any any real bad stuff or absolutely um, things like that. But from the 
from the Kotaku article I was looking into, it looks like there wasn't as much enough to block him from receiving an award. I mean, some, some people did feel that way. There's obviously a lot of opinions, but there is a little bit of a stain on, on Nolan Bushnell and the reputation of Atari at that time. And like, I mean, that's just the reputation it's garnered. Cause if you look at some of the video games, they were not even really trying. <laughs> they like, um, they have the very famous ET story of them developing the ET video game, which helped spark. Oh, they developed ET? Yeah. Which helped spark that? the video game crash of 83. I guess, yeah, I was on Atari. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was, um, there was a lot going on at Atari at the time and, you know, it's kind of developed into this thing of hippie commune, partying, you know, uh, 70s sexual revolution, hot tub meetings and all that kind of stuff. Um, not the best look, honestly. No. Um, but but interesting to, to kind of see, you know, where video games kind of come from and in that it is a fact that Atari did really did really found or prove the concept of a commercial at home video game market. Um, while simultaneously being just this very loose, uh, you know, somewhat some people would say inappropriate uh, work environment in the 70s in Silicon Valley where people were just making a shitload of money and doing whatever they wanted. Very similar to like, I don't know, the stories kind of remind me of like the Wall Street high finance vibe of like, I don't know, anybody who's ever seen Wolf of Wall Street or Wall Street will know what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, I... I, I I think, well, Silicon Valley. I mean, that specific part isn't sales per se, but I, don't know, I mean, I've worked in sales environments and I've interviewed at places that are very in, intense sales environments, and um, there is definitely like a certain like kind of frat bro culture that I think is inherent within that kind of um, that work setting. I think especially when it is so like monetarily driven, but uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case with Atari. Obviously it's not like necessarily a sale. Well, it, it's a business, it is sales driven, but I don't think there were people going door to door making commissions. Like yeah. The company I'm yeah. About. I mean, when you have and to be a, clear, if my employer is listening, I appreciate you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, I mean, when you have a place where a bunch of young people are making a lot of money and doing whatever they want in a creative environment, it's it's gonna get a little weird. Uh, I mean, and no they were super successful, right? So you probably have all these young guys and young girls, probably in their mid twenties, early thirties. All of a sudden, they're getting probably what is equivalent to like just. I mean, I'm not sure how inflation is. So a, a six figure salary, six at figure a young salary age, right? with probably like tens of twenty of thirty thousand dollars worth of bonuses, right? And they're probably making a shit ton of money. Yeah. And you're in this crazy fun company in the seventies or sixties, whatever, with all these other fun people, young people, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's going to get fucking weird, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I would encourage everybody to read up on on the that aspect of Atari. I think that's that's a little bit of a lesser known thing, but it, it is known for that um, in, a, in a lot of ways. So, And that said, too, I know Lucas and I are kind of commenting on work culture here, too. So I want to be very clear. We do not support toxic <laughs> We work disavow, cultures, absolutely. Um, and we never support any sort of harassment or sexual harassment of any kind in any in general, in any workplace or in any setting at all. So yeah. sort of, very yeah. true. All right, moving on. Money. We're talking about money. All right. Yeah, 19, yeah. 1976. Atari was sold. <sighs> I love to, talking money. I know. You're going to love this part. 1976, Atari is sold to Warner Communications for an estimated $30 million. 
1976, the equivalent of $144 million today. Okay. It's cheap. It does feel a little cheap. Now listen to this. Nolan Bushnell got half of it because he bought out Ted Dabney before that. Okay. So he got $15 million of this sell. And he was able to still maintain his role at Atari for yeah. a few years after that before he left due to creative differences with the parent company. But Nolan Bushnell, as a 33-year-old, got 70, the equivalent of $72 million in today's money. Right? I know what I would do it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, dude. 33. We're not that far from 33. Um, so he spends like crazy. Gets a house in Paris, gets a house in Aspen, gets a house in Georgetown. Uh, he's got a couple kids at this point, has a wife. So he's doing every. he's living large, right? He's spending a lot of money. In his words, he felt he could earn it faster than he could piss it away. So he was spending. <laughs> Um, so cane. yeah, he, he was really that guy. I think, you know, I just I'd love to, I'd love to talk to someone like that. Right. Because I mean, he kept working, doing other and, and things after that right? and other business ventures. And I think it's so interesting. I know you and I chat about this a lot, but honestly, part of the fun in life and I don't know if people are part of the fun and like part of the, the, when the fun or the, the satisfaction is the grind, right? Is trying to make it. That's the way we like to yeah. see. That's the, our um, perspective. And I'm not <laughs> like trying to be like, oh, grind, hustle, 12 to 12, bitch, don't sleep. Like, <laughs> like it, for example, and I'll even give a podcast example here. Um, you know, if Lucas and I woke up tomorrow and if all of a sudden we were getting like 10,000 listens a day on this podcast, not to say that we aren't already, but let's just say we weren't hypothetically and let's just say we all sudden to start getting that kind of volume. I think we'd be super stoked at first, like kind of a little euphoria hit, obviously. And then after that, it would just be kind of be like, huh, well now what? Right? Like I guess we just keep going. And then same thing. Like, let's just say all of a sudden someone came up and wanted to buy the rights to our podcast and just gave us a shit ton of money that we, Lucas and I could both live akin to Nolan Bushnell at this time. Right. It'd be like, huh? Right. Now what? Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. My because everyone says they want. Oh, I'm going to sound so anti-freedom right now. You know, everyone says you want all this time and all this freedom. Then when you do get it all, it's like, well, now what do I do with it? Right. Yeah, I think we've talked about this just in our in just personal conversations before, and um, I I don't know personally. It's interesting because I I mean I do want that freedom. Everyone does, right? But then, like, if I immediately had it right now, I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine like how would I fill time? I guess. It it, be, it comes it becomes like a real existential crisis. I think at it a certain it, point, and a very first world much. problem to be very clear. Yeah, and this is yeah. not a complaint. I'm very like no, grateful yeah. for the life I have, but I will say that like ultimately, this is this is Lucas's personal philosophy. You'll end up having to work in some sort of capacity, no matter what you no matter what your situation is, right? Like yeah. if you do if you do have enough money to live comfortably the brain has to do something to to work that like you you have to end up doing something you got to exercise your mind in one way or another whether it's keeping up the personal relationships or now you have to like keep up an image or now you have to like you're so rich you need like pr people and you need to go to these balls and buy this art and go to these charity like, events you, whatever yeah, yeah philanthropy like everything will end up turning into work in one way or another um, I'm not quite sure how we're on this top. I guess it's the money thing, but right, yeah, sorry. everything will turn to work in one way or another, whether you're making a lot of money or you're not, um, you know, 
you're just you you will end up succumbing to having to do something yeah. um that's just kind I of i didn't a trap. mean to totally hijack that <laughs> no no segue. it's it's a it's an interesting conversation um for sure i've been thinking about that a lot lately but nolan bushnell definitely uh did his fair share of work and did his fair yeah. share of spending uh with that money and um yeah i mean 72 million dollars in today's money there's a lot that people would do with that money um and he did he did all of it <laughs> tons of houses took care of his family started other companies new ventures and things like that um he leaves atari a few years after this buyout and before the 1983 video game crash uh man he did a lot of really cool things actually after atari uh that a lot of people don't really know about chuck e cheese mm -hmm. huge I, know, I was shocked when to touch that. on that yeah. one um i have a little i have a little blurb here in 1977 nolan bushnell buys pizza time theater okay and turns it into Chuck E. Cheese, a place where kids can eat pizza and play video games. Started out actually as a place to put a bunch of Atari video game cabinets so they can actually distribute <laughs> their games to a place. Um, and then he loves robots and animatronics and stuff like that. So he kind of develops like Chuck E. Cheese and like the band that plays and all that fun stuff. And <laughs> man, now we have five uh, minutes at Freddy's. Yeah, now we have exactly. Uh, that's a that's a good tie in. <laughs> um, that's so funny because I, I think Chuck E. Cheese is such a cultural icon and such like a thing that like even something like a Five Nights at Freddy's, you instinctively know that it's poking like kind of fun at that or kind of yeah. going off of that animatronic, you know, kids, I guess, play place vibe. Um, and that's why Five Nights at Freddy's really works is because it's so instilled in us something like Chuck E. Cheese over the last like 40 years. And I don't know, I just find that so interesting that someone created that, right? Someone did it and that was Nolan Bushnell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting little, little tidbit right there. Um, obviously I talked about Atari and what it did. Uh, one cool thing that Atari did was it, and other consoles did this too. Magnavox uh, Odyssey did this, but the Atari 2600 was big on this. Nolan Bushnell really wanted to push for a thing you buy that you then buy cartridges to place into. His quote was, he really wanted to think of an Atari system like a record player. He wanted to, you know, people buy more records, put them on the thing, and then they, they you know, you can infinitely create more records or cartridges or whatever it is to keep people buying more things. Um, before that, a lot of like, what Atari did was actually the just here's Pong and you could play it at home. It's just one game. It's just one thing. You plug right, it into your TV, yeah. you play Pong at home. Um, so he really like pushed for that kind of thing. He didn't invent it, but, you know, popularized it, commercialized it in a really popular way. So big, big props, Nolan Bushnell, for allowing us to have console or, you know, proving the concept for a console. The Atari 2600 came out in 79. Four years later in 83, Nintendo releases the Famicom in Japan. And two years later, they released the NES in America. So, um, you know, very clear cause and effect there. Um, I'd say uh, there's a very big argument to be said, or a very big argument to be made that, you know, maybe the Famicom wouldn't have uh, really been concepted or thought about if it wasn't for the Atari 2600. So very significant right there. Uh, that being said, there was a hell of a lot of shovelware on the 2600. <laughs> you could look it all up. There's just hundreds, um, which is a, a thing, a lesson that I think Nintendo really learned um, because they started their whole 
Nintendo's seal of approval sort of campaign and like, hey, this is a good game. You can trust us, parents. Like, buy this, buy Mario for your kids. It is a good game. It is not bad like the Atari right, game. Yeah. You know, so um, interesting little cause and effect stuff going on there. Um, in 1984, Nolan Bushnell founded ETAC, which was a company based on the concept of car navigation in your car live. Um, ETAC mapped the world as part of a commercial navigation system and ultimately is the backbone for MapQuest and Google Maps and Apple Maps, commonly used today, obviously. What? So Nolan Bushnell, look it up, ETAC, um, E-T-A-K. Um, like literally, like if you look at the old images and footage, it's like this old ass screen on your dashboard that you just added in there. And it was your car navigation system in the 80s. Um, super, super ahead of its time. But what they did was they really mapped a lot of the world, which then did allow for other companies to come through, you know, 15 years later and start utilizing that technology. It looks like a... Uh Oh, shit, those Fallout things, Pit Boys, Pit yeah, Boys. It looks like, yeah, it totally looks like Pit Boy technology for sure. Um, wait, so this was put into just? It was very low adoption. I mean, I think it was really just like a few people that worked at ETAC that had it, and like, like you'd really mount rich. it on your dash, basically. I think it was like people that worked at ETAC, and then like the people that could afford it, and like very special niche cases, like drivers, um, people that drove a lot, maybe commercial like. Or like trucks, truckers or something. Trucks like and that. stuff like that. It was not how, commercially. Adopted. How did the technology work? Was it like I think satellites? GP, satellite like GPS? GPS, yeah. Wow. That's so cool. When is this really? 91? 84. Oh, 84. Fuck. That's <laughs> when ETAC was founded. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, you know, through the 80s, that was technology that was probably used, but I mean, I started really using Apple, like I started, What I mean, I started using car navigation when my smartphone was able to do it. So this was like, and when I started driving. So that was like, what was that, 2012, 2011? So this was like 20 years, 25 years before, like I felt like car navigation was really live and out there as a real concept. I mean, you had Garmin's and you had those like little devices you could buy for your cars. I had a Garmin. You had a Garmin. We had a Garmin yeah. too, but even those were expensive and like yeah. weren't so commercially bucks. viable for a lot of people. Now navigation is just everywhere all the time. I don't even know how I'd live without it, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but Nolan Bushnell, huge backbone there. Um, next one, Bushnell's Law. Uh, Bushnell's Law is a real like thing that people talk about. Um, you can Google it and look it up. And it, it stated this way, all the best video games are easy to learn and difficult to master. They should reward the first quarter and the hundredth quarter. Um, design principle that actually is like one of Blizzard's mottos of design. Um, it actually really falls in line with George Parker, one of the founders of the Parker Brothers, uh, you know, board games, Monopoly. Uh, you know, so it's it's one of these design principles that's our design philosophies that's still really taken very seriously, you know? Um, and I, I personally think that the best games are that way too, right? Think about chess, right? Easy to learn, impossible to master. I know that you'll agree with me on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think for the longest time, I mean, you and I have such a history with Smash Brothers, right? Particularly Melee and um, the derivative of Brawl Project M. You know, it's 
something that I always love so much about Melee is that exact same thing. Um, I mean, it's just a simple party game, right? And it's this game that's endured throughout time, but yet it's impossible pretty much to master. Yeah. You know, any, even today, I mean, granted, I haven't watched much recently, but even today, like there's still people read, you know, discovering new ways to play new optimized ways to play, maybe even backtracking a little bit to combat the new meta, things like that. Um, and it's just easy, you know, easy to play, hard to learn, or excuse me, easy to learn, hard to master, fun to watch. I mean, those are what makes a game great, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it extends more, like even outside of video games. Like it extends into board games and uh, sports. Even like think of how simple soccer really is, and think of how like good people get at just the rules and the confines of that sport. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's difficult to master, but it's easy to learn. Um, it's such a simple concept that is really Bushnell's law. Um, and he's learned that, you know, over years of developing games, um, you know, running obviously a huge game company and working even at a carnival, which <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that even have done that. Um, so interesting stuff there with Bushnell's Law, uh, definitely thinking about that and bringing that into our our games into the future. Um, last one here. This is pretty just interesting to me. Uh, Bushnell actually got a CES award um, really? two years ago, two years ago. So. Bushnell created a board game uh, called Saint Noir that I actually kind of want to play. It actually is a murder mystery board game that utilizes uh, Amazon Echo um, oh. and Alexa. So you you put the board game down and you kind of run the app or the skill through yeah, Alexa. Yeah. What was it called one more time? Saint Noir. Saint Noir. Ooh. Is yeah. it like a detective mystery thing? Yeah, it's a detective mystery board game uh, that uses. We should it, play that. It, yeah, it sounds great. Um, and it's uh, it won best innovation at CES. It was developed by Nolan Bushnell. So he's still kicking, doing some pretty interesting things. Um, he's had a lot of failed businesses. If you just kind of Google it, a lot of interesting things. Lost a lot of money on a lot of things. He tried to start a robot company and lost twenty million dollars. Uh, he tried to start another robot company and lost two million dollars. And now apparently his wife won't let him start any more robot companies. Um, <laughs> he had uh, he started a line of uh, pets called Petsters, uh, like really like pets that were basically able to respond to like claps or calls. Um, and they were like kind of mild animatronic um, pets, like, you know, hot Christmas gift that year kind of stuff. And he even developed a teddy bear that would respond to like cuddles and hugs and stuff like that. Oh, uh, what were those things called? Like Furbies? Well, Furby's, I know that's not what that was, but he he had an early version of sort of what like Tickle Me Elmo's are like that. Right. But he right. he had like an early version of like a teddy bear that would do that. I didn't even recognize the name when I saw it, but apparently it came out before um, all these other teddy bears. I wish the name's um, slipping my mind now. But um, yeah, a lot of interesting ventures with Nolan Bushnell. Um, good philosophies. I'm reading. I'm looking at the St. Noir thing right now. It looks really cool. Actually. It looks cool, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, it's. I think what he was saying was um, the reason he made it is because he wanted a game that everyone would be able to play and mom, dad, grandma would be able to kind of dive in and just all play it at the same time. And I love that. You know, I really do think that that's a great, um, a great goal to keep in mind because yeah. he himself is a pretty old guy. I don't think he's really thinking about like the 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 League of Legends or like the the Smash Bros style gaming in the world or even Control. Yeah. Um, you know, in some of the games we do on this pod, I think he's trying to create more accessibility, really innovate, um, really change things, even in his in his older age. So um, yeah, I mean, I love that too. And I mean, you mentioned all his failed um, all his failed attempts, right? 
on businesses and how much money he's lost. But I, I really, I'm really glad that we, that he's a, he's like that as a person, right? Because I, I mean, to be clear, if you reach that level of wealth, that level of success, your life is your own. Do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy. Exactly. Um, I'm a big advocate for that, but you know, I don't think I have any obligation per se, but I do love seeing someone that has, you know, for all, by all accounts of the conventional way of looking at it, like made it in life. Right. Right. Um, and I love seeing someone like that still just going and trying to innovate, doing new things and just like having fun and creating new business things. And I think that's so important and just doing things to help, you know, create new opportunities, you know, maybe like help the economy, like create jobs. I mean, that's like looking at it at a very macro scale. Right. Yeah. But he's not, um, he's I, not I really go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. Uh, I, yeah, I think we're like, obviously he's not like huge, like Elon Musk level. Right. But I really appreciate that. I really appreciate people like that. And I'm glad to see that Bushnell has continued to pursue, um, an entrepreneurial lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. I feel the same way. And, um, I, I mean, he's not sitting on a beach sipping Mai Tais in retirement. You know, he's like constantly yeah. trying to do new things and, and innovate and stuff like that. And, and I love that, you know, I think that's, that's exactly where you want to be. Right. It's like, he has enough money to retire and stop what he's doing, but no, he's like, he wants to generate like an, he wants to design like an AI. He wants run. to create, he's a creator. Yeah. He's a creator and exactly innovator and always trying new things. And, um, yeah, love it. Um, love it, love it. So re really, you know, really cool on Nolan Bushnell check out, he's got dozens and dozens of interviews out there. Um, tons and tons of panels he's been on and, long history, not only as a inventor or founder of Atari, but just as a general Silicon Valley player over the years. Um, and of course, I really do encourage everyone to to look into, you know, kind of why he was blocked at the 2018 uh, Game Developers Conference for getting the Pioneer Award. Um, I will read one thing that he tweeted, I think was really great as a response to all of the controversy he did endure. Um, Nolan Bushnell in 2018 said, I applaud the GDC for ensuring that their institution reflects what is right, specifically with regards to how people should be treated in the workplace. And if this means an award is the price I have to personally pay so the whole industry may be more aware and sensitive to these issues, I applaud that too. In my personal actions or the actions of anyone who ever worked with me, offended or caused pain to anyone at our company, then I apologize without reservation. So. You know, he's not out here denying anything. He's apologizing and, and coming forth. So taking the high road. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is a Nolan Bushnell podcast from now on. Um, rating him. Uh, <laughs> Let's get him on the pod. Scores. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Let's get him on the pod. Yeah. Anybody who knows him that's listening, uh, get 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 our people email. in touch with his people. Yeah, we'll find yeah. it. Make it love it um no lucas thank you I always, I always enjoy your your lecture series i always feel like i learn a lot and for context everyone i had literally no idea who um nolan bishnell was going into this and now i feel like i could bullshit my way through a college report so <laughs> <laughs> all right I, uh, I really i really enjoyed that one and um definitely a, a fun figure to 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 learn about kind of the godfather of the gaming almost if you will totally but Super fun podcast. Uh, thank you, Lucas. And yeah, any anything else you'd like to give out to the fans? Um, you know, just part of the Lucas uh, series of uh, <laughs> history lessons and 
weird niche video game topics that I like to cover. So I was glad I finally got to do to do this one. I know I have a whole list I'm working through. <laughs> um, so more interesting content coming out of my mouth, hopefully in the near in the near future with some anything's possible. But oh, uh, Matt, where could people find us online? Really quickly before I do that, um, Nolan Bushnell. I actually just found his LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, we got he him. Is currently. <laughs> Well, I was actually, I was only like half kidding about uh, getting him on the podcast. I looked up Nolan contact info and this is what I got. Um, he's currently chairman at Weird Woods. I think that's just some something he does. Um, but he's currently a strategic advisor at a company called Esports Technology. Um, eBet is a global provider of advanced esports wagering products. He's getting into the esports uh, gambling. Esports industry. gambling. See, he's a he's so ahead. Like that is so that is right. That that is like totally the right thing to be invested. Oh, in this is a publicly traded money. company. That's gonna blow oh. up. I'm calling it right now on I'm, the record. I'm buying. I'm buying calls. <laughs> um, I mean, right? Like this, this is what is I'm talking financial about. Financial advice. This, this is what I'm talking about. Is like. This guy is out here like I didn't even think of that, and he's like already invested in it. You know what I mean? He's already building the the backbone for like esports. They went betting. public um, just very recently, actually, back in May. Dang, pretty interesting, interesting looking company. Um, yeah, I'm gonna personally do more research into that. It's fascinating. Um, Eli, uh, Nolan Bushnell, what a guy! He's, he does a lot. And I'd love to hear his take on esports in general, actually. Um, anyways, <laughs> everyone, as always, you can find our podcast, um, Spotify, Apple. Follow us, subscribe, leave a review, shoot us an email. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. We're also on Stitcher. We don't talk about that very much. Um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, TFP Podcast. That's TFP Podcast with an S at the end. And as always, you can find our Discord in the link tree and any of those socials as well. You can also visit our website, thanksforplaying.live. I assure you, it is a legit website. Um, thanksforplaying.com was very, very expensive, so we cannot get that. <laughs> and um, yeah, remember everyone, or Lucas, where can we find you actually? I, 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 want, I want people to reach out to you directly about this episode because it was such a fun episode. Well, you can find me uh, on Instagram at GoodIdeaLucas. Most easily to find me would probably be uh, the Discord. So check me out if you join our Discord. Uh, thanks for playing. Go thanksforplaying.live. You can easily find the link to our Discord off of our main website and hit me up. Uh, I'm just one of the guys in there. Just says Lucas. Uh, shoot me a DM and we can talk about uh, Nolan Bushnell. I love it. And if you want to find your good buddy Matt, I'm vibing over on Twitter at Good Idea Matthew, where you will. Find me tweeting about soccer very often in the U.S. Men's National Team. And actually, this episode will be released post-USA versus Mexico. So it's going to be a fun one. Really excited for that. Uh, all right, everyone. This has been... Wait, that's not right. <laughs> uh, we're all over the place today. Look at two recordings. It, it does into us. Um, remember, everyone, anything's possible. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 